the big thing on Total Soccer Show, the weekly episode where we take a deep dive into one of the biggest stories in the beautiful game at the time of publication. Today, we turn our attention to the perennial source of Taylor Rockwell's sads, Manchester United. Hey. Sir Jim Ratcliffe is expected to purchase 25% of Man United for £1.3 billion in a deal which would give his company, the petrochemicals multinational Ineos, control over the club's footballing operations. So yeah, we have a situation where Ratcliffe will take over football operations, but with a minority stake, with the Glazers apparently ceding power to him. Hmm, very interesting. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to discuss this and much more, we have the aforementioned Taylor Rockingwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello, my friend. Hello to Graham Rutherford also joining us. Hello, Ryan Bailey. I look forward to this episode of Succession. That's what this is, right? Oh, kind of feels see. that way. Kind of feels that way. I do have my $400 baseball cap on, Graham. I am ready for it. <laughs> Joining us also, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Ahoy. Ahoy, indeed. All right, so we have touched on this story, Graham, before. Uh, of course, we have on the big thing. Uh, the story's advanced a little bit since we last talked. The Qatar ownership bid seems to be in the background. We'll talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe you could just give us a bit of a précis of what the current situation is with the takeover race, with Sir Jim Ratcliffe and with the Qatari um uh, the bid that's gone into the background? <laughs> the, the, the disappearing bid. It's, it's from gone Qatar. somewhere? Yeah. yeah. So the sale of Manchester United by the Glazer family has been bubbling away for, for pretty much a year. So it was during the World Cup last year that the, the Glazers publicly announced that there would be, quote, a strategic review of their ownership of the club. And it was reported in the business world that essentially the club had been put up for sale. They found the Rain Group who sold Chelsea to conduct that sale for them. It was touted around the business world. We did a big thing episode earlier this year on the initial bidding process. So if you're not familiar with all that stuff, I would recommend listening to that to get up to speed because there was a lot of different developments at that time. But essentially it boiled down to two interested parties. That was Sheikh Jassim and Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his company Ineos. Late last week, we had the first real development for a few months. It had been reported that essentially the Glazers weren't really sure whether they were willing to sell Manchester United and and kind of it had been out of the news for a while. But last week, it was widely reported that Sheikh Jassim had withdrawn his bid to buy Manchester United. That in itself was a news story. But then shortly after, the reason for that was revealed. And that reason was, as you say, Ryan, that Jim Ratcliffe, the British businessman who owns Ineos, had agreed to purchase 25% of the club for a reported £1.3 billion, which I think roughly works out at just over $1.5 billion. In that bid, as you say, Ryan, is the condition, and this is the most interesting bit, this is why I think we're talking about it this week on The Big Thing, is the condition that he will have sporting control of Manchester United. The initial reporting was that this agreement would be put to the Manchester United board for a vote on Thursday this week. At the time of recording, it now seems unlikely that that will happen, but it will happen at some point in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Ratcliffe has to go to the six Glazer siblings to get their approval and if it gets their approval and it's expected to get their approval because it's reached this point then it gets put to the wider Manchester United board for approval and at that point Jim Ratcliffe would essentially be the new figurehead of Manchester United. I'm, I'm picturing this as a quest going through six different doors to speak to the six different siblings like some kind of uh, <laughs> mythic uh, journey that they have to go on through. Yeah, I would I would be more inclined to put it into that realm, to be honest. Graham, you said like you expect this to go through, you expect it to happen. I think I'm not quite there because I'm still not entirely sure the Glazers actually want to sell or want to give up any control. Do you feel like this is a sincere move towards them 
actually selling some percentage of the club to then sell a larger percentage of the club down the road. So where I think Ratcliffe was shrewd in comparison to the, the Sheikh Jassim bid was he appealed to the politics within the Glazer family that you're talking about, Taylor, where a couple, two or three of them maybe want to sell and they want to clean their hands of the clubs and, and disappear and cash in. And a couple of them, I think it's Avram and, and, and Joe Glazer, mm-hmm. um, want to keep their shares. And so Sheikh Jassim never really seemed to grasp that or was ne- never really willing to bend in that way. He just wanted full control. He wanted the Glazer 69% shareholder and he want, wanted the rest. He wanted 100% of, of the club. So Ratcliffe kind of, he was flexible. He started off wanting majority control. Then it started experimenting with different percentages. And in the end, it's 25%. Um, which, by the way, values Manchester United at more than what Sheikh Jassim's yeah. bid did, which is a key thing. So even though the Glazers are not getting the full amount, the amount they are getting for the chunk that Ratcliffe is giving is, is getting is worth more than what Jassim was willing to pay. I think that that, that is a key um, part. Yeah. But I, I have to imagine that this has been brief, right? This, this news has come out. It's been widely reported. It's been reported by The Athletic and Forbes and BBC. So clearly something has been briefed from either Ratcliffe or Manchester United or the Glazers or all three parties. And to reach that point, I have to believe that there is a belief that all six Glazer siblings are going to accept this before it goes to the to the board vote. And as I understand it, it's unclear uh, to go maybe way into the weeds too quickly if it is certain siblings being bought out or if it is everyone's percentage shares being diluted to accommodate that 25%. I, I really think... The finances are are sort of fascinating, which is not a, a thing I would normally say. But uh, that Sheikh Shasim does pull out does not really make me that sad as a Manchester United supporter. Uh, but the the situation around it, I continue to be confused by. And I think Graham maybe that conflict within the siblings makes the most sense because he withdrew, uh, citing that the Glazers uh, had a fanciful and outlandish valuation of the club. Uh, when his offer was, I believe, $5 billion to own 100%, uh, and when Ratcliffe's uh, valuation is at $5.2 billion, I mean, $200 million is nothing to scoff at, but at the same time, that doesn't seem wildly that far apart. And so it feels to me like at a certain point, Sheikh Shasim was, was never going to get it, even if he had jumped to $6 billion, let's say. It doesn't seem like that really appealed to the Glazers. And he offered... Plenty else along the way, in addition to buying them out completely, he pledged another $1.7 billion to finance transfers, plans for a new stadium, training center facilities, city and community regeneration projects. He would have cleared the debt as well. Uh, and so that, it doesn't feel like that appealed. Maybe it is the siblings. That does make some sense. I also kind of buy into the idea that, number one, they think they can make more money long term by doing this sort of slow acquisition under Ratcliffe, that they can make more money and continue to pull dividend payments out. And I also kind of like the idea, number two or number three, that basically they wanted to save face a little bit. And if Sheikh Jassim came in, cleared the debt, rebuilt everything, it just kind of makes them look like they ran the club into the ground. Whereas under Ratcliffe, they can sort of latch on to the work he does and then have a controlled exit that makes it seem like, oh, no, they were actually faithful stewards. Do they care about that? Sorry to jump in, Joe, but like, I just think the Glazers and the fact that they are willing to concede sporting control yeah. to Ratcliffe is the clearest sign yet that they do not care about Manchester United as a sporting operation. So no. I would be surprised if that kind of comes into their into their thinking, to be honest. The only reason why I think it might is because they still own the Bucks, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I could see them not wanting to look like a complete laughingstock, like complete failures running one club 
while they still own another because there are other uh, NFL owners who own shares or stakes in Premier League clubs and in clubs around the world. I mean, that is definitely considering them to be human and functioning uh, along human normal emotion, and that really isn't a thing that they've done so far. So you're right. Maybe it is just at the end of the day, some of the siblings want to still be involved. Taylor, has, has the horse not bolted on that, on them being a laughingstock in terms of owning <laughs> Man United, with all due respect? Uh, yeah, but I'm saying in terms of owning the Buccaneers, I, I think there is still probably a good amount of, of goodwill and faith towards them as NFL franchise owners, and there are way worse NFL franchise owners uh, in that league. Uh, and so that's where I can see it. No, I think the the door is very much shut on whether or not they will be beloved by Manchester United supporters. I think that's that's pretty well done. I didn't expect to say this before we planned out our schedule for for the show this week, but I'm curious what Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans have to say about this matter, because from what I have read and researched about the Glazers and sort of their history, how they operate in Tampa Bay has not created a lot of friends either, or at least not in the early stages. They fund the stadium through, you know, a heavy, heavy chunk of that comes from taxpayer money. And that ruffled a lot of people the wrong way back when that, that stadium was first being built in Tampa Bay. So I don't, I don't know if there is any lost love there or not, frankly, when it comes to that ownership already. So maybe that's another point to, to sort of Graham's idea of, well, they don't seem to care a ton about But they about got Brady, image. bro. Come on. Fair enough. I mean, a, a lovely kiss from Tom gets everybody quite, quite far in life, it seems. That's the second time we've, we've mentioned Tom Brady, and I think it has many weeks, and it just it never gets old. Uh, another another thing that I think... Tom Brady, go on. <laughs> another thing that I think uh, sort of makes sense about this bid from Jim, Jim Ratcliffe, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, which sounds like like the best name for a fancy British mouse that anyone could come up with. Like, I'm talking about a literal... It just... <laughs> It just sounds like like a perfect little pet mouse that happens to be British. Anyway, I think another another part that's made this whole thing take so long, and I think is a savvy move from Enios and, and Jim Ratcliffe, is the fact that it seems like there are these mechanics, and Graham, I think you alluded to this, to this 25% rising, and eventually this being a full takeover, and not just this awkward, and it will be awkward, by the way, relationship where sort of Enios and Ratcliffe are, are leading the sporting department, which you cannot take away from the commercial side. All these things are intertwined. And so this is an extremely strange situation. I'm not really sure how it's going to work or if it's going to work. But I think that's another reason why some of this is taking so long is because Ratcliffe understands that and is likely moving towards some sort of process that will allow him to eventually take over majority control of the entire club. Uh, As a refresher for the listener, I'll just jump in with a little Sir Jim Ratcliffe fact file. Uh, He assumes human form. He's not a mouse. That's the first thing to cover. Uh, He's worth approximately, yeah, last time I checked, uh, $36 apparently he's worth. He moved his tax residency to Monaco to prevent him paying a further roughly $5 billion in tax. So fans of UK public services are surely appreciative of his efforts there, denying the tax payments there. He owns Nice. In Ligue 1, he was outbid for Chelsea by Mr. Todd Bowley. So he that's this isn't the first club he's tried to overtake. Uh, he got, he's got lots of other sporting interests as well. He owns an America's Cup sailing team. He's invested in Mercedes AMG Formula One. Toto, there it is yeah. Toto. Who once again Toto Wolf, I believe, will, would be in a <laughs> yes. The band, the man, the legend, uh, Toto Wolf. He uh, he would be an excellent soccer manager. I am convinced of it because I think I'd listen to anything he told me to do. Um, and also, Graham, fun fact: he ran the Mar- uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe in human form ran the Marathon de Sable in 2013. That is an ultra marathon of 350 kilometers in the Sahara Desert. So he is a, a focused ah, right. and um, 
healthy individual i think we can get yeah. is he holding a gun to your head while you say this <laughs> <Yeah>. what's happening <laughs> yeah. uh, did i not tell you i do uh, pr for sir jim ratcliffe yeah now. so that was the sponsored section from yeah, the right. sir jim ratcliffe foundation <laughs> yeah, um, right. now we can continue the broadcast and um, just uh, i i was speaking to one of my one of my uh friends joe was humble bragging about right, friends Graham. in the last episode i'll do it in this Calm episode down. one of my pals uh, works for like a fact checking journalism company like a non-profit and in scotland Enios own the biggest oil refinery in 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 the country and this friend reports on Enios and their kind of environmental missteps he considers jim ratcliffe to essentially be the devil with the amount of like things that are covered up by Enios and how they make things difficult for for people reporting on environmental stories so that's the first thing to say about jim ratcliffe is he might be a Manchester United fan. He may care about Manchester United. I, th- I think on some level he does. I think this is probably more than a, a business investment for him. But not necessarily a great guy that Manchester United fans should uh, kind of embrace fully. It has been interesting to see some of the uh, the forums and message boards with their like, we're getting like oil money out of this club. We're not selling our souls to oil money by being purchased by Qatar. And it's just like, don't look too deeply into how Jim Ratcliffe made his money, y'all. Uh, this could go south very quickly. And Ryan, to your point, he is quite wealthy. Uh, and with that said, it seems unclear if he is using his own money uh, to, to buy this 25% or if he will be taking out a loan. At least he is not then taking out a leverage loan where he is putting it back on the club. But But even there, it does seem like he will use some clever financial machinations to make this happen. I think it's interesting, Taylor, that he's being painted as a local lad, a Manchester United fan through and through, who, as I remind you, did try and buy Chelsea as well. Uh, The thing about that, though, so he did have a Chelsea season ticket, right? Which is certainly a a black mark against Classic Man United fan. Yeah, well, maybe it is. You've made allegations of Manchester United fans (laughs) in London, Ryan, in the past. But the the Chelsea bid, um, a lot of of people read that as him planting a flag in the ground. He came into that process late, too late, in fact, to actually make a proper bid. And he's asked by, I remember the BBC interview with Dan Rowan, he's asked, why are you not bidding for Manchester United instead? You're a Manchester United fan. He doesn't really give a very convincing answer. And so I think that was him signalling to yeah. the Glazers that he w- he had the money and he was ready to buy a, a big Premier League club. And I think he had also signalled in the past that he was willing to buy Manchester United if and when the Glazers wanted uh, to put it up for sale. And so I, I kind of buy into that idea as well, that when they were hesitant or silent on that matter, uh, he he went for Chelsea. And even if it were a legitimate attempt, which I agree, I don't think it was. I think it was partially at least because he was not getting any traction from Manchester United, so you publicly go after Chelsea, and even if you don't get them or planned not to get them, it shows that there is a financial backing behind you to make something like that happen and that there's genuine interest uh, in making it happen. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, much more on Jim Ratcliffe, what it might look like if he has stewardship of Manchester United, and much more back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Taylor, you said something in the first part of this episode that was interesting about not being convinced that this whole thing is what it seems, Mm -hmm. or words to that effect. Is there a scenario where... Um, this is all being used as an exercise by the Glazers to pump up the value a little bit of this club, and Ratcliffe isn't going to buy it at this point. And also, tied to that, the Qatar bid going into the background, is it really in the background? Are they biding their time at this point? Is there more to this than we, uh, than we see right now? Well, I think there's more to how Ratcliffe has made this pitch, because I continue to think that even, even if Graham is correct and some of the siblings weren't fully on board... Sheikh Shasim has enough money to 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 quash any of that, and I think probably could have entertained notions of giving them minority control. I mean, Newcastle only own, or the Saudi investment fund only owns eighty percent of Newcastle. So I think there is. It's not as though they're coming in with an absolute. It has to be a hundred percent. Maybe that's what he was going for. Um, but I think I do think Jim Ratcliffe has gone about this in a way that has appealed to the individuals it needs to appeal to up front and like to get some of the people on board so that he can get that 25%. But I think also his plan to me seems like a slower one that allows the Glazers to keep control, to continue to pull dividend payments out, to continue to control the commercial side of things. And maybe this is overly cynical, but it feels to me like they're basically willing to give him control of the sporting side of things because they don't really care and they don't really want to do that part. They want to sell commercial sponsorships and make the money. uh, And then he can do the sporting thing. And then if they're very good, they will sell more commercial sponsorships and partnerships uh, and the club will get better. I think there is a plan though in there for him to eventually acquire more and more of the club. But I think one thing that I keep going back to, yes, he's bought 25% of the club, but that is at the Glazers' valuation of $5.2 billion, whereas most conventional valuations are closer to $2.63 billion, which would mean that he was buying half of the club. 
And I think right there, you can sort of see what he has done that is wise, is he has gone with their valuation, uh, which maybe exceeded what Sheikh Jassim wanted, but again, that number was pretty tight. But I think it allows them to get an immediate cash injection. It allows them to basically give away football operations so that if things go poorly, if they don't start winning on the men's or women's side, uh, then it's Jim Ratcliffe's fault. It's not our fault. See how hard this is? It's, it's We're not to blame. But then if it does go well and the value of the club increases, I'm going to guess there are provisions in there that they sell at a higher number yeah. per individual share, and so they can make more money in the long term. So I think... I'm going to guess it is sadly a deal that benefits Ratcliffe and that it gets his foot in the door, but it probably benefits the Glazers long term. Oh, absolutely. And that last bit, last bit there, Taylor, is key because the Glazers who want to stay at Manchester United, they don't, it's worth clarifying, they don't want to stay because yeah. they're Manchester United fans <laughs> exactly. and they love the club. Or they want to stay because they believe there's more money to be made out of Manchester United and there's yep. a split. Some of them think this is the time to cash in. Others think, look, there's Champions League and Premier League TV broadcast deals coming up for renewal soon. Maybe they'll inflate in value and Manchester United is worth a little bit more in three years. So you're absolutely right, Taylor. I think with this pitch, Ratcliffe has said to them, look, if you're correct in your assessment, you can benefit from that by cashing out in five years' time when I yeah. can take majority control. Yeah, and and from my understanding from my friends, see, we've all got friends now, uh, who are in the financial sector, I will not even try to do this justice, but I have heard the compelling argument that basically the Glazers were much more motivated to sell when it felt like we were headed for a recession, a global recession, when it felt like interest rates were going to increase pretty dramatically, when that recession did not materialize, or at least did not materialize when it was expected to, when interest rates stabilized or did not increase nearly as much, I think the the debt issue was less severe for the Glazers, and so I think their hand was not nearly as forced. If those two things do happen, that might be when they are much more motivated to sell the additional 26% or whatever Ratcliffe would want to be the controlling uh, shareholder and have that interest. But for now, I think they're in a position where they don't have to sell. Uh, and so they're probably investigating every single option to make every single dollar that they can. Indeed. So, Graham, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the intriguing part of this is with Ratcliffe potentially taking control of soccer operations at the club despite having a minority stake in the club. And it's quite, the more I think about it, the more it's quite an impressive move from the Glazers because they're essentially shirking responsibility for soccer operations by giving it to Ratcliffe. So if things do go further south than they have, they've got a scapegoat who's a minority owner as well. Yeah, and it's it's a gamble by Ineos and, and Ratcliffe because they're always going to be bound by the fact that the Glazers have majority control on the cap table. They they don't have that, that control. That's where I struggle to really work out how this is going to work because until now Manchester United's front office has operated on this sort of cap in hand basis where there's not really a set um, budget as, as I believe it it's more a case of the manager, manager communicates to the front office what he needs John Murtaugh they then identify a player they then go to Richard Arnold who then goes to Joe Glazer for the funds and it's sort of a case-by-case basis rather than you have 200 million pounds to spend this summer and so I don't really understand how that how that approach is going to work if Ratcliffe is in, in, in control of the sporting operations. It's surely going to have to be uh, a budget that is set. Now, just before we started recording, there was a Financial Times article that was that was published with a little bit more detail on this. 
it says that Sir Dave Brailsford, who is sort of Jim Ratcliffe's right-hand man on the sporting side of things. So Sir he is, Dave and Sir Jim. They're all it's sirs. Ridiculous. They're all knights of the realm. Well, I know, it's just <laughs> like Sir Jim kind of Sir Dave. Dave. Yeah, right? Sir Dave feels, feels more like some sort of squirrel, maybe a hamster. I don't know. I think I'm in the <laughs> yeah. same Got vein. All of okay, them have to be small woodland creatures yeah. or like mice or Yeah, rats. so the, the rodents are taking over Manchester United rather than them There's being the headline. banished Ryan from Manchester Ryan just did it for you. You're welcome. Episode titled. Done. Yeah, so 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 Sir Dave, the, the squirrel, is apparently going to be on this committee <laughs> alongside Joe Glazer and that is going to be the link between the front office the new front office which we should talk a little bit more um, later on and who could be in that front office but the, the that's going to be the link this new sporting committee between the front office and the executive level which will obviously still be controlled by the Glazers. It's going to go great. It's going to go great. Greg, can I ask you a question? Because I read that same Financial Times piece, credit to you for letting me know that it was published before we started recording. And and I don't fully understand the mechanics. I know you just said you don't understand them either. But how is this supposed to work with Enios having the majority of the control of the sporting side when there is one Enios member and one Glazer member on the committee that's overseeing the, the sporting side? Am, am I missing something here? I don't, that's one plus one equals so, two, two divided by two is one. There's no majority there. Yeah, so my, so you're right, Joe, there are questions over that. Um, my reading of it is, if you look at the structure, the hierarchy of the company, there will be the executive level here, there will be the front office here. So the executive level, level will be, um, obviously the, the the cap table that will be controlled by the Glazer family. Then you have the front office that's controlled by Enios. So you have these two separate sides of the company, and then the link is. So you're right. If if if, if Sir Dave, um, the squirrel, comes to the table, the sporting uh, the the committee table, and says we would like this amount of money, and then Joe Glazer says no, you're not getting that amount of money. I don't really understand what the tiebreaker is there. That is where there there needs to be more. Well, I think I think the tiebreaker is Joel Glazer says, "Have you seen the percentage of shares I own?" Right. No, that, thank you. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I was going to say. Like yeah. this is, I'm not going to rule out that this won't work. And I, I think to zoom all the way out, and my overall take on this is that it's a good thing for Manchester United. Right? Change is good for Manchester United. They need change. What has been the case and how this club is being run, even just on the sporting side, you can have complaints about the Glazers commercially. They have turned this club into the biggest entity in the world on a sporting side uh, in terms of soccer. So. You can set all that aside. If we're looking at the sporting side, the moves that they've made have been ill-advised at best, by and large, over the last several transfer windows, even though they do spend mostly at a a very competitive level in terms of of the global soccer space, they've not nailed these moves. And so any change specifically in the sporting department, or at least any potential for change, I think should be viewed as a positive for Manchester United and the fans of Manchester United. But yeah, like I said, the mechanics of how this is actually going to work in practice are complicated and awkward at best. Graham, why would Sir Jim the Mouse want sporting control at the club? Is it is it simply ego? Is it something else? So first of all, are we settling on, on Sir Jim is what we're calling him? Because Manchester United fans online, I've noticed, have taken to, to calling him Big Jim. And I quite like Big Jim. Big Jim's fun to see. No. Sounds... Hey, that feels more like your buddy and your pal. I'm <laughs> not sure Slim Jim. How do you feel about yeah. Slim, Slim Jim or Jimbo? Well, he is quite slim. He runs 300-mile marathons. Yeah. So maybe Slim Jim is the one that sticks there. I call him yeah, Mr. So... Mr. Frackle is what I call him. 
That's what I like to call him. <laughs> so so uh, to answer your question, Ryan, about Slim Jim, I, I have to think that on some level, Ratcliffe is willing to make concessions because he has a, he has a Manchester United fan and he fears this opportunity opportunity might not come up again for a long time. So David Ornstein, I listened to the Athletic podcast with David Ornstein and Adam Crafton. They had a lot of details on, on this story. Apparently, uh, Ratcliffe's son is a massive Manchester United fan. He's involved with Enios, the, the company, and he's been driving this because the idea is much like you get with NFL teams, this will be a sort of family thing. Uh, <laughs> Taylor has his head in his hands, which I understand because I don't Hard know if that is... coming right now. Yeah, I, I don't well, know if that is... What I've always heard is that the son of the billionaire yeah. is always really sharp and is always really doing great. If succession taught me anything, yeah. it's that the kids are great. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> billionaire sons are, are maybe they don't yeah. always strike me as the best people to own sports team uh, sports teams, but mm-hmm. it's surely refreshing no, on some level to great. have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's surely mm-hmm. refreshing on some level to have someone that cares about the club in some way rather than the Glazers. And counterpoint, Josh Cronkey. At Arsenal, he took control from Stan Kroenke, his dad, and by all accounts is doing... Well, we don't. I say by all accounts as if we need to uh, a peek behind the curtain to tell that Arsenal are doing better. We know that Arsenal are doing better because we've seen it on the pitch. So it can work on occasion. But yeah, this is this is very unusual for Ineos. If you look at their other sporting investments, as you laid out, Ryan, with, with Nice in, in, in Ligue 1 and the sailing team, they own another soccer team in Switzerland, they own the Grenadier cycling team as well. Um, they tend to take full control, full control over these 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 institutions, so that they can completely remold them, and they have they haven't been able to do that with Manchester United. But Jim Ratcliffe grew up a Manchester United fan, and I think that has to be a factor in why he's been willing to to bend a little bit. And maybe because he sees a scenario where he takes full control at some point. Yes, and Manchester United, from a business point of view, let's make the business case here. Manchester United are up there with Real Madrid and Barcelona as one of the three biggest football brands in the world. And there probably is more value to to be made from the Manchester United brand. You look at Old Trafford as a stadium right now, is crumbling, hasn't been touched by the Glazers in, in 15 years. The training ground, I don't know how much a training ground um, contributes to the valuation of a club, but nonetheless, the, the training ground is not in particularly good condition. And I think, while I agree with Joe to a certain extent, the Glazers did contribute to Manchester United becoming one of the biggest brands in the world. I feel like that progress has stagnated the last few years, where they no longer have the biggest apparel deal. They no longer so? have the biggest sponsorship deal. But yeah, but I'm talking about from a commercial sense as yeah. well. Like the, the, the money is is not growing, put it that way, with Manchester United, which is why some of the siblings think this is time to, to cash out. This is the opportunity. So Sir Jim Ratcliffe, as a businessman with a big ego, as all billionaires tend to have, probably thinks he can come in and further increase that valuation. That That's the thing that makes me nervous, is that ego. And not even his. I, I am definitely cynical about Manchester United these days. I can see a scenario in which this goes horrifically. Because you have a billionaire who is probably not used to getting feedback and not used to really being disagreed with. Uh, coming in and having the minority interest, but running the sporting side of things, to Joe's point, if there is a conflict and it's a one-to-one vote, I don't really feel like this is a situation in which everybody's working together. It feels very much like it's going to be two factions owning a club, both of whom like kind of stand to benefit by working together, but neither one of whom really probably wants to work together. I definitely think that the Glazers know they have to renovate Old Trafford, put money into the into the stadium itself, put money into the club and the infrastructure, and don't really want to do that. And so this is an immediate cash injection that allows them to do that without really giving up control. I think Jim Ratcliffe is trying to position himself as best he can to have 
some specific area of influence and control so that he can point to that as look at the good I'm doing, look how I am increasing value. And maybe there's a scenario in which that works. They continue to make the commercial revenue that they want to. He continues to acquire shares and eventually he has controlling interest. But I see an equally likely scenario of he's running the sporting side. The Glazers don't really want him to spend this or say he can do it if he spends his money or that there's a conflict over how infrastructure is going or being developed. Uh, even is it being renovated or torn down Old Trafford? Like I think there's even some conflict there, a potential conflict there. So I can just see this being a thing where you then have every decision is by committee and those committees aren't even necessarily made up of people who are all coming at it from the same perspective. So maybe it works, but I could also see a lot of fragmented decision making and a lot of leaks coming out of the club about who's doing what and who's doing what incorrectly. Do you think, though, Taylor, at least on the sporting side, it's possible for things to be worse? It's okay if the answer to that question is yes. I guess from from how I see it, Manchester United has been left behind by well-run, effective, high-spending teams in the Premier League. They are not a team that even comes close in my head of of being a legitimate contender for basically any trophy right now. They've fallen off that perch, and they've been off that perch for quite some time now. Do you think things can actually get worse? Short term, yes. Uh, And and specifically because if he takes over, I do think he'll make big changes. I don't know if that means Richard Arnold and and Murtaugh are gone, Uh, but they, by all accounts, are somewhat worried about their positions. And so if you're changing a lot of the front office, if you're changing a lot of the the kind of football day-to-day operations people, then I could see there being a state of chaos where you have to get everything sorted and figured out and back on track. I, I do think maybe long-term, there's more of an interest in spending money and making the team function better, look better, play smarter. And, and ultimately, I think if you're Jim Ratcliffe, if you are coming at this from a I am trying to show how positive of an influence I can have, I don't think it's even just spend a bunch of money. I do think it is establish a philosophy, develop the academy a bit more. So I think long-term, there's a reality in which it goes well. I think short-term, it could definitely get worse. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think Manchester United are even in a a better position now than they were two years ago. Like All this Mm -hmm. chat of Jim Ratcliffe is going to rebuild the front office... Two years ago, that chat would have been Jim Ratcliffe. Jim Ratcliffe is going to build, build a front yeah. office. Like there wasn't a front office two years ago, and we don't really know if John Murtaugh and Darren Fletcher, who is his, his assistant in the front office, we don't really know if they're doing a good job because it's difficult with Manchester United to to ascertain who has influence and who has who has control. But nonetheless, the fact that those people are there is surely an improvement on two years ago. So yeah, I agree with Taylor. It it, it can get worse, but surely at this point. The, the fact that Manchester United have had such, you know, failure over the last 10 years since Ferguson, it is worth rolling the dice at this point on the on the chance that things can get better. Taylor, to pick up on something you mentioned a moment ago about the immediate cash injection being a benefit mm-hmm. for the Glazers and talking about stadium renovations and so on, and the improvements they could make on the non-sporting side of things. I mean this question sincerely. Do you think it's more likely that they take that investment and redo Old Trafford and do all the things they need to do from a brick and mortar perspective, or that they take their money and have a Scrooge McDuck money fight in their vault? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, I, I think this is where you have to remember that Jim Ratcliffe 
doesn't become a billionaire by being like a friendly fella. Like I'm sure he has stabbed some backs along the way and I'm sure he is a pretty shrewd businessman. So allegedly, I, allegedly. Yes. Uh, so I, I, whatever. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I think, Oh, there's, there's plenty of other things that I've decided not to say because I really don't want the fire truck of lawyers slash the fire truck of police to show up at my door. Uh, but I will say that I think Jim Ratcliffe is, is probably an astute businessman. And I'm going to guess that there are provisions in there about how that money will be spent so that say, like the one billion, one point three billion, isn't put towards clearing the debt, which maybe he wouldn't care about. But I, I do think there has to be a, it has to go towards developing the club. And there's probably specific language in there about what developing the club even means, so that the Glazers can't spin it as like, well, we're the owners, and by us enriching ourselves, we're happier, and then the club is better for as a result. I'm going to assume that there are very clear provisions in there about how that money will be spent, and I'm going to guess that there are somewhat clear provisions in there or there will be about how he can continue to attain an ownership stake and my guess is this is very much just like speculation for me from what i've read that there is a minimum share price that he could acquire for and then there is a maximum share price that he can acquire for uh and and basically then he'll have time to run the sporting side and slowly accumulate those shares because i just can't see a scenario in which he's bought in for 25 percent and then just like Hopes against hope they end up selling to him. That doesn't feel like a particularly smart business decision because it doesn't seem like a thing the Glazers would do. So I'm going to guess there is a lot of lawyerly language, which is why I'm guessing this is going to take a long time to get resolved. I'm going to guess there's a lot of back and forth with uh, tables and armies full of lawyers uh, having conversations about what needs to be struck and then re-added and then struck again from the agreements. All right, another quick break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the front office, about the sporting side of things, and how different they could be under Sir Jim Mousecliffe. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, It's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. 
That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Uh, Graham, we mentioned a little bit earlier in the, in the last uh, section of this podcast about the front office. How mm-hmm. much change do we think we could see and how much change could we see come down to the side of the field? Could we see different coaching staff with Jim Ratcliffe? Can we see that uh, off-admired uh, managerial combo of Silvino and Pablo Zabaleta coming from Albania, <laughs> finally to Manchester United? I mean, who knows? I guess it's all speculation at, at, at this point. Maybe Sir Jim is a big fan of what Silvino and Zabaleta have done with Albania and that's the coaching team that that he wants. Um, I haven't seen much speculation on like players or management. I, I would, I'd be surprised if Ratcliffe and Ineos have, have kind of got that far, to be honest, in their thinking. I did see Sheikh Jassim saying, well, I would have signed Mbappe, Kamavinga and Kingsley Coleman, yeah. which was a, a, a weird statement to, to brief. Um three good players i'm just not really sure what links them other than they're all uh they're all french it, but nonetheless it they was all the first been time ruined by man united is what links <laughs> right, yeah. well it was the first time that i was reminded that like this could this could have gone a very psg sort of way of we're gonna sign a ton of glo- a ton of global superstars none of whom will defend and we're gonna lose every game 17 nothing and this is actually a disaster that had not really yeah. occurred to me until he made that statement that's what every football fan wants. They want to replicate uh, PSG and of their course. success of the last uh, 12 years or whatever it is. There has been a lot more solid reporting, though, Ryan, on how the front office could be rebuilt. So by all accounts, it feels like a, re- a, pr- a pretty fundamental review is happening or will happen of, of, of the front office. Um, there's been pretty solid reportment, uh, reporting that the, the squirrel himself, uh, Dave Brailsford, will, will, will be coming in. He is most known for being the the brains behind British cycling, which enjoyed a, a lot of success for a number of years at the Olympics. Also some controversy there, controversy there too, with uh, a lot of doping allegations against British cycling, which Dave Brailsford, Brailsford seems to have uh, avoided, as, as proven by the fact that he's he's linked with this job. But basically, Brailsford is, is the sporting director for Ineos as a company, so it seems like he'll be making a lot of the decisions at kind of a slightly higher level. And then there will be a sporting director appointed to to the front office. Um, Paul Mitchell has been most strongly linked with with Manchester United. I swear Paul Mitchell has been linked with Manchester United every season for the last 10 years. So he is the former Spurs sporting director when Pochettino was there. I don't think sporting director was was his official title. Maybe it was like head of recruitment or something like that. But he was credited with finding players like Son Heung-min and and, and a couple others. Uh, He then went to RB Leipzig and then he went to Monaco. And he had success at all three clubs in a recruitment sense, but left Monaco in March of this year. He's from Manchester. He's moved back to Manchester with his family this year. 
it feels like it's finally going to happen that, that he will be sporting director at Manchester United. Although Michael Edwards, who was former, who is former uh, Liverpool sporting director, he's also been mentioned as an option. In terms of the CEO, Taylor mentioned that maybe Richard Arnold is, is a little bit nervous about his position. I'm unclear on whether the CEO counts as part of the sporting side of the club, though. I'm, I, I, I've seen reporting that Arnold might be replaced, but I don't know if any Austin Ratcliffe will have that that authority. But nonetheless. One name that's been mentioned is Jean-Claude Blanc, who is the former PSG general manager, uh, not Daniel Craig's character from Knives Out, <laughs> different people. <laughs> um, but he joined Ineos in, in February and um, doesn't really seem to have much of a role at Ineos. It's just there. They just gave him a job. And so I think it's reasonable to suggest that if Manchester United are going to have a new CEO, that Blanc could be in the frame to replace Richard. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't just say that uh, I don't want to look to PSG for a model when they're bringing in a PSG person to be the model. Yay. Cool. <laughs> Wonderful stuff there. Uh, Joe, the consensus among many of us is that there's a bad culture at Manchester United. There's something rotten behind the scenes which is causing the players they buy to not uh, ingratiate themselves into the team as they should. It's causing some of the problems on the field. So this kind of change, if there's a change to the front office, if there's a change to the technical team, could be a very positive thing if it's done correctly, if that whatever negativity behind the scenes is taken care of and a, a, a flush out could be the way ahead. I think, excuse me, I would I would totally agree with that. As a possibility, if Manchester United can use this moment to refresh their club culture, it's going to be massive because I think it's impossible to look at this club and say that things are being done well or run efficiently or run in a, in a positive way. You think back to the very beginning of this whole sale process, which really has been a saga. It's been 11 months since the Glazers announced that they were looking for strategic solutions for Manchester United. And along this time, a thousand plus club staff have been wondering, like, what's going on? What's going to happen with our jobs? Players even. There's been reporting that players have been asking, like, what, what's going on? Nobody's really understood what this process actually was going to look like and how long evidently it's going to take. None of these things are signs of particularly well-run or healthily operated teams. So if this cash injection and if this slight ownership adjustment, should it go through, and I expect it will, if this can be something that is the first step or or at least a step in the process of refreshing what it is to actually be a Manchester United employee and what it is to be part of that club, I think this is going to be a success. I, I just don't know. And I think, Taylor, you've spoken to this well, and Graham, you, you have too. I think we're all approaching this with a healthy dose of skepticism because it doesn't feel like Manchester United have done a whole lot well, and it, it's not really clear with the awkwardness of this new minority ownership stake like how all of these things are going to work. So if there is a refresh in club culture, that's going to be huge, or at least it has the potential to be huge when coupled with better decisions being made on the sporting side. But I don't know that that's a given at this point. And Graham, do we think those decisions will be significantly better? Arguably, they couldn't be worse at this point. But what what can we learn from uh, Sir Jim, Slim Jim's uh, other sporting entities? I mean, Looking at, say, the, the Mercedes AMG F1 team seems to be run very well, consistently excellent at finishing second to Red Bull in F1. Uh, oh, that's it, so harsh <laughs> when they dominated for like 10 years. Ha ha ha. Taylor and I are also laughing. F1 we joke. We understand. Uh, but, Graham, what can we learn from the other sports teams in terms of the approach, in terms of the uh, path to success? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's most relevant to look at, at, at Nice because obviously they're 
a soccer team uh, and while any of us have enjoyed success in sailing and F1 and other sports, um, soccer is a different sport and Manchester United, I don't know if you've noticed, are a soccer team so there's uh, <laughs> parallels there to be drawn but any of us bought Nice in 2019, they promised Champions League football within five years when they bought Nice and that they would challenge PSG in French soccer after that. Um, four years in, Nice have yet to qualify for the Champions League. Now, caveat there is they look pretty strong this season. So that could happen this season, and then they would scrape making that five-year objective. But it does seem unlikely that they will ever be able to truly challenge PSG anytime soon. I, I just don't think Nice have spent enough money to challenge PSG. I went back through transfer market and looked at the signings that they'd made. So they've spent 250 million euros on transfers in four years, which is no small amount, certainly for a league on team. PSG in that time have spent 750 million euros. So clearly a big difference there. The th that is more correct. Mm -hmm. um, the thing with Manchester United is I don't think they need money pumped into the club as Manchester City did or Newcastle United did. They're, they're one of the handful of clubs along with uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, etc., that I think can compete on their own footing. This is a club that ha has revenue streams that are greater than pretty much any club in the world besides Manchester City, which is a, a talking point in itself. Um, they just need an owner who can put in place a coherent structure and not take over £1 billion out of the club in dividends and debt interest payments as the Glazers have over the last 10 years. So that is surely the hope with Ineos coming in is that the Glazers have, have set a very, very low bar for them an improvement will happen on the pitch with just a few changes to the front office and not kind of lining their own pockets with the money out of the clubs as the Glazer, Glazers have done. All right, Taylor, the big question, perhaps my last question to finish off with, what do we think the road looks like for Manchester United in, say, the next five years? Do you see, say, in five years' time, Ratcliffe having a quarter of the club and the Qataris having three quarters of the club? Do you see the Glazers still involved in the team in any time soon? Or is this the start of a transition uh, for the Glazers to leave the team. I cannot see a scenario in which uh, the Qataris are back in. I, I think that would be too big of a hit to the ego for them to come back and be like, oh, never mind. Now that you want us, we're back in. I, I do think the Glazers are probably still involved for a good little bit of time. I think as long as there's money to be made, I think there will be some interest uh, that they will control. Whether or not it's the controlling interest, I think, is, is the most interesting part of this deal. Because... Again, I have to believe that there's a way that Jim Ratcliffe can go about acquiring additional ownership stakes over time. And maybe that will be built into the deal is that like as things happen or as years progress, he gets he's able to buy 5% and 5% and 5%. But yeah, I think it will be a slow process. I also want to say, like, again, to be maybe negative, it's not as though Nice have been this like efficient and well-run club because, yes, they are having success, but like... This is also the club that brought in Aaron Ramsey and Ross Barkley and a bunch of random players last season to let them all go this year. Like th there has been flux, there have been a lot of turnover in that club. There have been a lot of different directions. Morgan Schneiderlin brought in out of nowhere. Um, so it it doesn't. When you look at Nice, you don't see a club that have this like very clear identity of how they want to play. They streamlined everything. They've made things work. It feels like a club that have spent some money and tried some things, but have still had some up and down moments and a little bit of chaos along the way. And to me, that's kind of what we're going to have for Manchester United, and especially until the dust settles on even how this structure is going to work. And even then, I think we will get some backfighting and some back channeling. And so I think it's going to be 
a very sort of stop, start, two steps forward, one step back sort of process for Manchester United in the, in the near term, maybe medium term as well. Uh, and I think, yeah, the Glazers will be around for at least some chunk of time in there. But maybe that's too cynical. Maybe that's too pessimistic. But the club hasn't given me much reason to hope and have strong belief that positive things will come. I think that's probably a, a good place to be, to be honest, Taylor. I think my United fans are entitled to be suspicious. Uh, and to be honest, uh, as I say, I think that's a, that's a healthy mindset. To take it has been smoke and mirrors with this process all the way through, from from the beginning. First the Glazers were selling, then they weren't, then they were selling to Sheikh Jassim, now this. Um, the fact of the matter is, this deal doesn't give Manchester United fans the, the sort of ding-dong, the witch is dead moment that, that they crave. The Glazers will still be around. I presume they'll still be pocketing their dividends and all that debt will still need to be serviced with with, with interest payments. Um, and because of all that suspicion of the Glazers, that, that taints Ratcliffe as well by default because he's now going to be working with them. So Ratcliffe already has some convincing to do that things will be different and this isn't another ploy to keep the Glazers in control. That's That's one side of the argument. The other side of the argument, which I think I've already outlined my personal view, is this is a roll of the dice. It's kind of worth it at this point. I think there's the potential. I agree with Joe. I think there is the potential for things to improve. And so that potential means that I would, if I were a Manchester United fan, I would be tentatively behind this while kind of keeping my eyes and ears open at all times. Yeah. It's a roll of the dice. It's kind of worth it. I think it's how most multi-billion deals are done in the boardroom, uh, is my sure. understanding. So we'll see how that one uh, rolls out. Joe, I think my overall take on this is the success of Sir Jim Mousecliffe's uh, reign at Man United will depend on how deeply and how hands-on he is involved. Uh, we've mentioned sort of the, the dangers having ego and maybe Taylor's touched on the fact that Nice maybe haven't, the project hasn't gone in the direction uh, that it might have gone with the players they brought in and out and so on. So if he is the kind of person who wants to be very hands-on and pick X, Y, and Z, I think that has its peril. If he is the kind of owner who will sit back and say, you're the best people, you do your thing, I think there's much more potential for success. And it depends on him and his ego, ultimately. I think that's I think that's true along with how this relationship between Enios and the Glazers is actually formed and how that ends up taking shape. But Ryan, I, I think what you just said there describes successful sports teams, period, right? And su- successful businesses. Finding people that are experts in their field and letting them do why letting them do the stuff that has made them an expert in the first place, right? So if Manchester United find people that are good at doing their job and scout well, and they develop an analytics department, and they go out there and do all the smart things that clubs like Manchester City and Arsenal and, and Liverpool, even though Liverpool don't spend at the level of these other clubs, like, yeah, they're going to have more success than they've had now if Ratcliffe comes in and says, no, I'm going to do this my way, and we're going to replicate what we've done at Nice, where they haven't finished higher than fifth since he bought them in 2019, um, then I don't think things are going to look so great for Manchester United. Indeed. All right, Taylor, any sunny disposition to end this one on from you? Or are we still uh, in how, full sceptic mode? How about it's better than being a sports washing tool? That is surely the uh, the upside of, of this or is deal. It, or is it the path to becoming one, Graham? Mm. <laughs> mm. Devil's advocate there. Do we think <laughs> Jim Ratcliffe, like, what, what, if, what if the shot that emerges later on this afternoon is Jim Ratcliffe with, like, Eric Ten Hag's hand held aloft and then Jaden Sancho's hand held aloft and he's the one that brings them together? Does that mean that positivity is on the way? Would that be the solution we all need? Well, he's painting a big mural of uh, Sancho and Ten Hag kissing each other like Gorbachev and, and, and Gorbachev and whoever <laughs> that was in the Berlin Wall. <laughs> that's it that's what we need right Sancho there. with uh, that Xbox be the controller in hand proudly yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah wow 
Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up then. Taylor Rockwell, uh, your your final thoughts. Thank you very much, sir. Eh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Graham Rutherford, a pleasure as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, thank you, my kind sir. Oh, right back at you, Ryan. And thank you once again for all your... Uh, animal references in this show much appreciated listener thank you very much for joining us on this big thing let us know what you think by the way patreon.com slash total soccer show if you'd like to support us there we have a discord where we'll be chatting about this and much more but for now bye